God doesn't want anyone to give grudgingly. That's what we hear today from our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Sweats, and for the last two days, Christian giving has been our focus. And today we continue that discussion as we specifically look at our attitudes when we support God's work. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 at verse 6. So grab your Bible and while you find your place, I want to share a couple of quick letters from listeners, this time from our Urdu language broadcast, which is heard in eastern Pakistan, Bangladesh, and throughout India. First, we hear from a fellow Bible bus passenger in Bangladesh. I hadn't heard much about Jesus. I come from a poor family and never learned to read. A friend tried to give me a Bible, but when he learned I was illiterate, he invited me to listen to your programs instead. I always refused, but he didn't give up. One day I became very ill. Medicines weren't working and I was confined in my bed. That's when my friend visited me every day and brought his radio. We listened to your program and the music program that followed. I was so impressed by what I heard, I told my friend to pray that I would be healed so I could listen and know more about God. It's been many years since God healed me, and I am so thankful for your programs that have grown my belief in Him. My friend and I began to invite others to listen with us, and now we have a regular group that meets to worship and study God's Word. He is writing this letter for me so I can properly thank you. And remember, this guy was illiterate, so that's why his friend is writing the letter, and I certainly love the gracious persistence of his friend, don't you? Next, we hear a letter from a soldier, this one in Pakistan. I come from a middle-class Muslim family. From an early age, I offered prayer five times a day and read the Quran. But I was very confused and had many questions about Jesus. I asked our local religious scholar, but he told me I didn't need to read the Bible because it has changed and only the Quran is true. I also discussed my questions with my family, but they were angry. Then I joined the Pakistan Rangers, and my roommate was a Christian. He had a Bible and listened to your programs regularly. He soon became my best friend, and then I shared my problems and my doubts about Islam. He gave me a Bible and a radio for listening. I began to listen and was surprised at how easily I understood everything. It was then that I promised myself that no matter the consequence, whether I remained alive or not and my family leave me or not, I must accept the truth. I decided that Jesus is my Savior and became a human just to save my life. This week, the World Prayer Team, by the way, is praying and praising God for His work in the lives of listeners like these throughout Southern Asia. So we've asked you so many times before, and we hope you're going to do it. Will you join us? Why don't you sign up today for our daily email? Just go to ttb.org forward slash pray. You'll be so glad you did. And if God's Word is making a difference in your life, we'd love to hear you tell us that story. You can email us at biblebus at ttb.org. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you that your word still speaks today. Help us to hear the message that you have for us as we earnestly seek your will for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study in 2 Corinthians 9 and 10 on Through the Bible. Now, friends, we're still in this area of Christian giving, and we'll be out of that today. And that may be good for some of you, but I think that probably... It's been a section that's been very much worthwhile to a great many believers, especially these new believers, as most are told that they are to tithe today. And it's grace giving. That's the important thing that we're to note. Now, we left off last time in chapter 9 at verse 6. And I want to pick up there today and begin at verse 6. He says, But this I say, 
He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Paul, when he was talking to the Ephesian elders, he made a very remarkable statement to them. He says, I've showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, that word here, how he said, it has in it the connotation that he was accustomed to say this. In other words, this was an expression that the Lord Jesus used constantly. I have a notion that he used it so much that it's sort of like some people, they kid me about using the expression, permit me to say, or let me say, or today. I use these expressions quite a bit. And it's habit, of course. But actually, Paul means that here. Jesus was in the habit of saying that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now, this is a very trite bromide today. And it's quoted a great deal and practiced very little. When he said it's more blessed, actually it means here to be happy. It'll make you more happy to give than to receive. And friends, that's the test. That is the real acid test for you and me today. How does it affect you when you give? And do you so sparingly you give that way? And he'll tell you in just a moment how we're to give. And any farmer today, suppose he says, well, now I sowed a bushel of grain last year on this particular plot of ground, and I got an abundant harvest, but there's no use me wasting a bushel of grain this year. I'll sow half a bushel. I want to save my grain. But he that soweth sparingly, he shall reap sparingly. And he which sowed bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And I believe giving out the Word of God is a very wonderful thing. I think I've already told this little story. I met some friends, and they were real friends over at John Brown University in Siloam Springs. And these folk live in Oklahoma City. And this lady who was about my age, I guess. She was raised in a little place called Tishomingo, Oklahoma. My father was killed in a cotton gin there, and he's buried there. And it was the custom in that day when anyone died that the neighbors would all send in food. And I never shall forget the wonderful food that was sent in at that time. And she said this to me. She said, you know, I can recall as a girl that my mother cooked up a great deal of food and sent it over to your house. And I never knew that years later I'd be listening to you and we gave physical food and now you supply spiritual food for us. Well, may I say to you, they didn't sow sparingly, I tell you, and I hope they're reaping abundantly because they were very generous in those days. Now, I believe that with all my heart. I think that's one of the reasons some of us are so poor today is because we're so tight-fisted when we're dealing with the Lord. Now, he says here, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Now, what really, and down in your heart, do you think you ought to give? Well, that's what you ought to give. So let him give like that. But notice, scarce to be the test, not grudgingly, not grudgingly, 
Now, that's important for us to see. We're not to give grudgingly. And what does that mean? Well, God does not want one penny from you if you'd rather keep it yourself. In other words, if you say, well, I'm an officer in the church and it's my responsibility to give or I'm a member of that church and I feel responsible. Now, the church may say that to you. I've said it. I said, this is your church. You ought to support it. God doesn't say that. God says, if you're giving grudgingly, don't give it. God says, I don't want it. Now, and I don't think God uses it either. Not grudgingly. And then he says something else here. Are of necessity. Well, he doesn't want anything unless you're just going to give it willingly and gladly. God wants you to give like that. Give it gladly and freely. And somebody says, well, you know... I guess I better give. Everybody else is giving, and they look bad if I didn't give, and so I'll give. That's of necessity. God doesn't want it. God says don't give to him grudgingly or of necessity. Why? For God loveth the cheerful giver. You know, the happiest part of the service is that. And I've noticed in several churches I've been in, they take up the offering, then they all stand and sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And I think that's wonderful. However, I think that they ought to sing praise God from whom all blessings flow and stand and sing it before they take the offering for two reasons. So they can get in the attitude of giving and the right attitude of giving joyfully to the Lord. And then they'll be able to reach for their pocketbook when they stand up. I believe that that's important, by the way. Now, he's talking about that God loveth a cheerful giver. And if you're not a cheerful giver, God says, don't give. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Now, no one that I've ever known has ever gone broke giving to the Lord's work. Now, there may be some like that, but I have never yet met them in my ministry. God will bless you. That's what he said. And I don't think he'll always bless you materially. Great many folk think that they can hold God to it. I don't think you can. He's promised to bless us with all spiritual blessings. Now he says here, as it is written, verse 9, he hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth forever. In other words, God is the one that wants us to do it because he's God and he's a righteous God. And I believe that this is the great section that ought to teach the church that we ought to take care of our own. We ought to today share with those that do not have as much. And what an opportunity for you and me today to share with folks. And I think there's so many Christians that have the gift of hospitality. And by the way, that's a gift. I know several folks, they have a way of opening their home making people feel at home. And they have a very fine way of inviting people in and having them for dinner. And they take them to church first. And they manage to get the gospel to them that way. Marvelous way of witnessing. But it's also a way of being good to folk that lack fellowship, they're lonely, and they may even be hungry. What an opportunity to minister. This is the thing that he's talking about here. Now he says, Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. 
Now, you see, the farmer doesn't mind going out and scattering bushel after bushel of seed because he believes he'll get an abundant harvest. Don't be afraid to give to the Lord's work. I, not long ago, had to encourage a young man. He's been recently saved. I encouraged him not to give. But now you may think that's a strange thing, but he actually was giving too much. I told him he was not even keeping enough for his own family. And I said, you'd be worse than a heathen if you didn't take care of your family. You put them first. That ought to come first. Then I said, after that, then let your generosity be known. But don't make your family be denied of the necessities of life. In other words, I don't think God wants you to be an extremist, even in this matter at all. I think that this is a place where good old sound, common sense, and good old consecrated judgment and gumption is needed in this matter of giving. Now he goes on to say, he says here in verse 12, for the administration of this service not only supplieth the one of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. You see, it'll cause a great many people to thank God for you. And God gets the praise. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection under the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men. Thank God for you. How many missionaries out on the field thank God for you? <laughs> I was visiting down on the mission field in South America and Venezuela in particular, and a certain missionary there told me about a certain family that I knew back here in Los Angeles, and they said, oh, how generous they've been to me. Thank God for them. And there they were down there in Venezuela, foreign country, thanking God for the generosity of these folk. Is anybody anywhere thanking God for your generosity? Well, there ought to be. That's what Paul says. And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. And friends, it has to be a grace. Don't come to me and say you have to give the tithe. We're not under law. We are today under grace. And for you out yonder, it may mean more than a tenth. And I have a notion it means more than a tenth for a great many Christians. But wait just a minute. That poor saint out yonder that hasn't been able to work and is sick today, God's not asking you to give at all because <laughs> you're in that circumstance. As you're able, he says, that's the way you're to give. Now, he caps all of this by saying, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Now, I don't care how much you give. You can't give like God's given. He's given an unspeakable gift. No man could come up to the way God's given to us and given his son to die. Think of that for just a moment. Back again to where we began. Though he was rich, he left heaven, left all of the glories of heaven, came down as a missionary to this world, not just to give his life, but to die for you, to die on a cross, to be brutally butchered in order that you and I might have eternal life. And he made his soul a sacrifice for sin for you and me. And we're told it's for the joy that was set before him. Oh, my friend, he's a wonderful, glorious Savior. Don't bring him down to the low level. He's not a superstar. 
He is the bright and morning star. He is the Son of God who has redeemed us, and he's God's unspeakable gift to you and me today. Now, that is the norm of giving, by the way. And that actually not only is the norm, but that is the very apex of giving. No one could go beyond that. Now, we come to chapter 10, and we're going to change the subject again. We come now to the last division of 2 Corinthians. First, in the first seven chapters, it was the comfort of God. Then in chapters 8 and 9, it was collection for the poor saints of Jerusalem. Now we have the calling of the Apostle Paul. And you will find him in this section, friends, opening up his great heart of love, his heart as a missionary, and his heart as a human being. You're going to meet a man here now that probably you haven't met him like this before unless you've been through this section here because he's come now to this section in which he's going to defend his apostleship. We have in chapter 10 the authentication of Paul's apostleship. In chapter 11, the vindication of Paul's apostleship. Chapter 12, the revelation of Paul's apostleship. And in chapter 13, the first 10 verses, the execution of Paul's apostleship. And then chapter 13, 11 through 14, the conclusion of Paul's apostleship. Now, this is a great section that we're coming to, and I know of nothing that compares to it anywhere in the Word of God, because what you have here is this great apostle opening his heart, his great heart of love, and his heart as he opens it in no other place in the Word of God. And we have, first of all, in chapter 10, the authentication of Paul's apostleship. Now, this is a great section that we are coming to here. Will you listen to him? He says here in chapter 10, Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent, am bold toward you. Now, Paul speaks of the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. You see, the... Lord Jesus, when he was here on this earth, he was a carpenter. And he handled a saw and the hammer. And he knew all about building. He built many things. Yonder in that carpenter shop in Nazareth, he took, I think, the lowest place on earth that he might exalt us to the high. Well, by his meekness and his gentleness, he was meek and he was gentle. And they asked the question in these days, isn't this the carpenter's son? He's a carpenter. That's all. But he's more than a carpenter, my friend. And that is the problem today. A great many people try to bring Jesus down to that low level of the carpenter shop. Friends, he's not in the carpenter shop today. He's the man in the glory, God's right hand. And you can't bring him down to that low level. All as we've seen in Second Corinthians, or maybe I'm going to say we're going to see it. We've known him after the flesh. We know him no longer after the flesh. He's the glorified Christ. Now he begins by saying, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And the problem had been this. 
You see, Paul came to Corinth, and he wasn't chargeable to anybody, and he didn't want to be. So he went yonder in that bazaar in that day, and he made tents. And as he did, there were those sweat cloths, those with the handkerchiefs they took from him, you remember. And he used those sweat cloths. He would perspire, his hands would get dirty, and he was working there, and he was talking with the multitude. And these Corinthians, they said, my He's not an apostle. He's a tent maker. He's not some great individual. He's just an ordinary man. Well, friends, he was an ordinary man, but he happened to also be an apostle. And I think today it's tragic. I'm going to step on some toes now, but I don't think that you have to wear a robe or button your collar in the back to prove that you're a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that you can prove it by your life, and whether you can teach the Word of God, my friend. I think that's the proof. Now, Paul the Apostle, if you look at him, he just looked like any other man. In fact, he probably was beneath a great many because he worked with his hands. And he could say, well, I beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I'm like my Lord when he was here on earth. And when I'm present with you, I'm base among you. Now, they're saying in Corinth, well, when Paul is here, he just made tents. He wasn't any somebody. Now look the way he's writing to us. He was writing to us boldly and charging us. My, who does he think he is after all? And that's the way some people feel about a man that teaches the Word of God. They want to bring him down. Today, the devil has a method that is very subtle. Right now, the devil does not attack the Word of God as such. Right now, there's an interest in the Word of God. And you know what the devil does today? He attacks the man of God who's preaching the Word of God. That's the way he gets in. He tries to discredit the man. And that's what he did with Paul. He tried to discredit Paul, you see. And they try to do that today. Now, I know of a church where the man, he taught the Word of God. And I want to tell you, there was some that didn't like it at all. And when he left, they attempted to crucify the man. They'd tell you, I'm sure today, they, oh, they believe the Word of God. All of them carry a big Bible around under their arm. They really don't believe it. In fact, they don't know what's in it. They never did apparently study it, but they sure are after the man that does it. Now, any man that will not cotton to this little group today and play up to them, he's in for trouble if he gives out the Word of God. And that's the devil's method. Now, Paul is coming on that kind of basis. He says to them, But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I'm present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. He says, Now, because I made tents, got my hands dirty, and I sweated. I could say perspired, but I think Paul sweated when he made those tents. And he could say, well, when I did that, you thought at that time that we were walking according to the flesh, but we were not. He says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down a stronghold. Now he's going to speak here of the secret weapons of spiritual warfare. And as you can see, I'll have to wait till next time 
to take that up. But we're getting near the end of 2 Corinthians, and somebody says, where do we go from here? Well, back to the Old Testament, of course, as we thread our way from one testament to the other. Why, we move forward on two fronts, the Old Testament, New Testament. So until next time, may God bless you, my beloved. Our study of Esther begins next Friday. To prepare, download your free copy of Briefing the Bible, which contains all of Dr. McGee's notes and outlines at ttb.org forward slash briefing the Bible, or call 1-800-65-BIBLE to receive an abbreviated paperback copy by mail. Also, I'm excited to tell you our brand new Bible companion for Esther is ready for you as well. And spoiler alert, you're going to love it. Now, we'll take a break from this study for the weekend, and I want to invite you to join me for Dr. McGee's Sunday sermon from Esther. The Strange Providences of God is the title. It's a great sermon. It's available at ttb.org forward slash Sunday sermon or on our app. Call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE if you want help finding it. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll see you back here next time. Our study today was made possible through your prayer and financial support. We'll meet you back here next time. In fact, we're going to do this together, Lord willing, till Jesus comes again. In which case, we'll meet you in the air.